morning, everyone. Happy UFC pay-per-view fight week. What a week it is. UFC 285 on Saturday night from Las Vegas inside the T-Mobile Arena for the first time in three-plus years. John Jones inside the UFC octagon for the heavyweight title. The guy that some may say or argue, and, and rightfully so, is either the GOAT or among the short list of people you would even consider to give that label to. He is taking his undefeated record to the heavyweight division against Surreal Gone. What a main event it's going to be, but I might add, what a fight card it's going to be. This one is a blockbuster from start to finish. By far, the best fight card of 2023 to date. Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. Will, how are you on this fight week, my friend? I don't know if I'm okay. Uh, I don't know. I'm still trying to process that this is actually a, a John Jones fight week. Uh, you know, he hasn't fought since 2020. Uh, we started doing this uh, late 2020. So, like, we've cleared, you know, all of the John Jones absence. Um, and we've gotten to this point where I haven't talked about a John Jones fight yet. So, like, leading up to it, and this, is, and this always happens. I, you know, John Jones, I've been watching him. He's been my favorite fighter since 2011. But, like, I don't know, man. Just, like, this this fight means so much. I mean, to, to, for him to become heavyweight champion and all, all that three years away, it seems like he's got his life in order, so that's great to see. But um, I'm just happy that he's fighting again, man. But it, I, I always get a little nervous before these for these fights, man. So it, it's it started to feel real once you saw that first episode of The Embedded and you saw his face, and I'm like, oh snap, it's it's real. So yeah, uh, I'm excited for the card, though. I'm excited for that fight. The uh, the uh, the co-main event's awesome. Uh, the 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 main card fights, the uh, three before the the title fights are awesome. The prelims are awesome. The early prelims are awesome. They did a John Jones fight card justice by stacking it because this right. this whole fight card is outstanding. It's a great fight card. Um, I would argue that even if the fight card wasn't great, I mean, this is a big one just because John Jones is on the card, right? Like on my radio sh show today, two different people brought up John Jones' name that normally don't even mention MMA. I mean, that's that's like my gauge when anything goes beyond like the MMA fans and people that aren't really everyday fans of the sport start bringing up names of fighters that are in a main event you know there's very few that are like that conor mcgregor john jones are are two on the short list but you know it's a big fight to the masses when when things like that happen when people that normally you talk to on an everyday basis normally never mention mma bring up john jones or ufc fight card 285 yeah in, in comparison to what we saw last month with uh makashev and volkanovsky for as good as a fight that that was uh and and we as hardcore fans were all over that fight um, it didn't get the publicity, the publicity that a John Jones fight's gonna get, and it's it's no knock on them, but it's the star that John Jones has built. He's been in uh, rivalries, he's been in great rivalries throughout his career, uh, rivalries that have like really reached the mainstream. Like when I remember when he, uh, him and DC got into that fight in that press conference when DC shoved him and they and you know in the MGM Grand, it was it was crazy. But that that fight was talked about on ESPN on all the major platforms. Uh, and that made the Jones DC fight both of them. It, it made it must see. Uh, those those fights were, uh, I think, the pay per view buys were at were reaching one million. Uh, and for uh, uh, for someone other than Conor McGregor, that's that's big time. So uh, John Jones def definitely reaches uh, the mainstream. Uh, he's a superstar in this game. I think the only person, like you said, who probably lays a claim to being a bigger star is definitely Conor McGregor, who is the biggest star. So um, it, it, it's huge that John Jones is back, man. Huge. 100%. In terms of John Jones and going into this fight, and obviously three-year absence, a more mature John Jones, 
now at the age of 35, which once again is one of those shocking numbers because he's been around for so long. You just think 35, that's it. Um, and he's not been in the octagon for three years. I mean, those are prime years of his career where he's not been inside the octagon, but only 35. Do you feel like you're seeing a different John Jones this week? I, I do. Um, I do and I don't. Uh, there's a part of me that still sees the same tweet, the guy that tweets and says all this stuff about his opponent, um, about not not about his opponent, Cyril Gaon, as a, as a person or anything, but just kind of point out his game and interacting with the fans. So that aspect is the same. But uh, when you look at the embedded, it, it just seems like he's just happy, uh, that he's at peace. And that's something that you couldn't always say in his previous fights. Um, it just seems like he always says, like, I, I was meant to do this. This is my destiny. Uh, but in a fight like this, after three years away, it just seems like he's super, super locked in. Um, and you really couldn't say that about the Thiago Santos, Dominic Reyes, these fights that he's almost lost. Uh, the interest didn't seem to be there. But I think, you know, with everything that he's been through in the last three years and throughout his career, I think he's finally at a point where he's just maturing and he's at a point where he just wants to fight, get back in there and uh, prove himself again. Uh, you know, we all we talk about the GOAT and number one pound for pound. A lot of that is negated when John Jones fights because he's normally always number one pound for pound. He's normally always right. mentioned as the GOAT. So I think he's um, ready to be back in that light. I, I ask if he's if you feel like it's the same John Jones or not. If he has changed, my question is, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Because some might argue, um, you know, maturing and maybe losing some of that edge might not be a good thing in terms of what that means inside the octagon. Now, for for a guy like Conor McGregor, that's I feel like that's very important. What you just laid out is very important for a guy like Conor. But for a guy like John Jones, I feel like he's so locked into winning the fights and wanting to be the best that if he if the maturity is uh, an issue or it, not an issue, but if it seems like he's really matured, it's not going to affect his fight. I feel like the fight he's so strategic. He's so uh, locked into the small minor details, no matter no matter what Sorogan says, if he if he were to come out here come out here and start talking like Kobe Covington, that's not going to change what John Jones does inside the octagon. Like he's had rivalries with Rashad Evans, who is a former teammate, Daniel Cormier, of course, Alexander Gustafson, like and it never really affected what he did inside the octagon. He was always the same calculated, strategic fighter that he's always been. So I fully expect that uh, to be on display on Saturday. It's going to be a fun one. We will obviously talk about the fight itself when we make picks and uh, all the different breakdowns in terms of stylistically uh, what this matchup looks like. As we've talked about over the last month or so, I mean, this is the first or the second, I should say, of pay-per-view main events that are just absolute blockbusters. I think you brought it up, uh, the the previous card, the stretch of four pay-per-view main events consecutively that we're, we're in the middle of. Uh, and this one is, I mean, as big a matchup as you know, I think obviously John Jones Francis would be the biggest John Jones matchup you could possibly make. Um, I think outside of maybe will like a Connor Masvidal matchup, this is probably the biggest matchup that you can possibly make in, in the UFC. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a tie between Jones and surreal and then like Jones and Stipe, but like this fight, I mean, a lot of people have seen what Cyril Ghosn has has done. He's only been in the in the game for uh, three years. The amount of time that John Jones has been out of the game—that's how long Cyril Ghosn has been yeah. in the game. And he's been—he's uh, looked amazing. Like a guy at headweight who moves like that. Um, the matchup is insane. 
uh, when you look at when you think about the strategic stylistic matchups uh, matchup that this is, how both guys have high fight IQ, uh, how how both guys have creative striking and and, and all that stuff. Uh, but then just the fact that it's John Jones moving up to heavyweight to fight for the heavyweight championship right. uh, it makes it that much bigger. So uh, it's a it's a massive fight. And and like you said, I don't I don't know if you can make a bigger fight right now. And I, I tend to think that maybe if you get if you give John Jones anyone, but because just the story of John Jones moving up to heavyweight and fighting for the title is big enough in itself. But the fact that it's such a good matchup yep. uh, makes it that much bigger. So I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, like Connor and Masvidal isn't the best matchup out there. I'm not saying that. I just mean like that matchup in terms of those two guys, their star power, the way they would sell the fight. That would be probably the biggest fight you could make in terms of how much mainstream following it would get, people talking about it, pay-per-view buys, all that. John Jones against probably Surreal or Stipe is next to me. Uh, and there's you could probably talk me into either side of that because I think Surreal Gone is clearly the the tougher matchup for John Jones. Stipe brings the name value, so I think there's some give and take with, with which one is bigger. But yeah, Saturday night is going to be as big as it possibly gets in the UFC for all the reasons you just mentioned. Just the John Jones half of things. Uh, moving to the heavyweight division kind of puts it there, and then you add uh, the incredible matchup that it is. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, what are your nerves going to be like on fight day as a as a lifelong John Jones super fan? Man, I, I feel like it's gotten to a point like when I was in high school, um, and John Jones like first became my favorite fighter. Like every time he would fight, my heart would just get crazy beating and stuff. Um, but like, I feel like it's like that now for every main event, like, um, <laughs> okay. every pay-per-view main event. Like I remember when Francis fought surreal, I'm sitting on my couch watching the, watching the fight and just the walkouts, like my heart was just going crazy. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm okay. I don't know if I can just sit here and watch this. So I had to stand just for <laughs> him to start fighting. I was so excited. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of, of John Jones being back, I think it's at a point now where I'm like. I'm I'm excited to see him, but it's not going to be any different than uh, any other championship fight. I'm going to be geeked. I'm going to be excited. I did try my best to try to get out to Vegas for the fight because, as you know, I've been a big fan of Surreal, and I'm obviously a fan of John. I, I tried my best to get out there. I wasn't able to do it, but I will be locked in, and I will be watching on Saturday. Very nice. Um, I, I told you this earlier today, but last night I had a dream that I was watching John Jones fight Stipe Miocic in the main event of UFC 285. And I woke up and I was like, that was weird. That's so crazy. And then I read that Dana White said that they have a backup fighter for this fight on Saturday night in Las Vegas. He's not going to reveal who it is, but I, I did see another reporter report that both Stipe and Curtis Blades are going to be in Vegas this weekend at the fight. So I don't know, man, maybe... Maybe my my brain is onto something. Maybe maybe John is going to get his wish, and it's going to be Stipe. That would be crazy. I mean, if it's if it's Stipe and your dream comes true, I'm really going to think that you're like psychic or something. I'm not going to believe that was a dream. <laughs> I'm going to believe that was a vision because if if it all plays out like that, that was definitely a vision for sure. Yeah. And by the way, I just I don't very often remember dreams. Usually, like I wake up and within if I don't like think about the dream for more than a few seconds like it's gone and I just can't remember anything about it but I did wake up and I immediately was like that was weird the part that I do remember was John Jones dominating so there you go that should make you happy at least yeah absolutely I'm gonna tell you uh, this about a dream about dreams that I have I had a dream and I think we talked about this on the pod after it happened I had a dream once that 
Megan Anderson beat Amanda Nunes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you did tell me that, yes. Yeah, of, of course, in the fight, Amanda Nunes dominated her. But in her very next fight, yeah. she ended up losing to Juliana Pena. So th- I think there might be something to your vision. Okay. At least the, at least the John Jones dominating part. <laughs> yeah, or or it's the the next fight is John Jones Stipe, right? To to piggyback off your yeah. dream scenario. If if John Jones wins this fight, one thousand percent, lock it in. The next fight is Stipe Miocic. He's, yeah. I I think that, and we can we can probably get into this later or even after the fight. But I truly believe that John Jones has is going to fight two more times. This one against Surreal, and if all goes well, he fights Stipe. And I think that's the one that he'll probably walk away on. Now, the only thing that might change that is if Francis comes back. And I still don't believe wholeheartedly that John Jones would fight Francis. But I do think if it's his last fight and they pay him enough yeah. that he would fight Francis in his very last fight. But I know he would not fight again after fighting Francis. That's I will say I think you are spot on, A. B. I think the Francis thing is totally dependent on if people are giving him his flowers or not. If he were to beat Surreal in a really close decision, let's say like a Dominic Reyes type decision where it can even be debated, and then he beats Stipe, um, you know, maybe it's not even in dominant fashion, but maybe it's even clear cut that he beats Stipe, but it's like by decision or, uh, you know, maybe it's just a really close fight. And then there's like this hesitation to be like, yeah, but I mean, would he beat Francis and Ganu? You know, if there's if there's that giant bit of doubt in the masses I think he would want that fight if he looks so good in these next two that we're not even talking about that or we're just saying what a great fight that would be not like I don't think he would be able to beat Francis I think that's where it comes from like if people just think well, that would be a great fight John's so good at heavyweight that would be a great fight I think he'd probably be happy with where he is but if people are like there's no way that he would get past Francis when he struggled to get past those two I think that would that would be enough for him from a legacy standpoint to want the Francis fight yeah, and and he's one of those fighters who really takes what the fans say to heart, uh, and you and you can see it in uh, what in the tweets and the and the interactions he has on Twitter. If someone says Khabib is the goat, he responds. If somebody says, you know, yeah. he didn't beat Dominic Reyes, he'll respond. So like, if if he beats Surreal and it's close, and he beats Stipe, and you know, there's still that talk about Francis. I think that the talk about Francis is going to happen regardless. I think if he wins, there's going to be even sure. more. If he wins dominantly, it's going to be even more of a reason for fans to be like, well, Francis this, Francis right. that. But like you said, if it's a close one, they're going to be like, well, Francis is the real heavyweight champion. You barely beat Surreal Gone, and Francis, you know, did what he did to Surreal. So I think either way, he's not going to escape it, but it just depends on how loud those voices are, like you said. Yeah, yeah. It just depends on whether people think it would be a good fight or if people think like, well, based on those two heavyweight fights, he would have no chance. And, you know, I, people are going to want to see it no matter what happens. But I think just in terms of the general perception by the masses, if they believe it'd be a good fight versus if they believe Francis would dominate him. That's that to me is where that you would see maybe that seesaw. Uh, anyway, um, so you're saying this fight card, UFC 285 is better than UFC 270. <laughs> By a by a landslide. Oh my goodness. I mean, we we've got one part of the main event of 270 and Surreal Gone, and then we got John Jones, but look how they stacked this card. Oh, it's awesome. And I'm the biggest John Jones fan, obviously. But in comparison to what they did for Francis Nganu in that card, like it's a, it's a night and day difference. Like it just seemed like they didn't even care 
to try to help Francis at all sell this pay-per-view. But with John, they loaded this fight card with another title fight with uh, with rising prospects, with uh, a former fan favorite or a former champion who's a big fan favorite uh, with, with ranked matchups in the prelims with uh, with prospects in the early prelims. I mean, this fight card is absolutely loaded everywhere. But for 270, I mean, it's, it was just it's just a night and day difference. I mean, I hate that they did that to Francis. I really do. Yeah. I mean, you've got, uh, like you said, you've got another title fight with uh, Valentina, who's on the, you know, Rushmore, if you will, of female fighters in UFC history. Big time prospects in terms of, I mean, you could probably argue that Shavkat's no longer a prospect and he's just a contender, but I don't know how many people are aware of Shavkat, so I'm still going to throw him in that prospect um, umbrella, if you will. But Shavkat, Bo Nickel on this card, um, Ian Gary on this card. I mean, all three of those guys are big time prospects. You've got another former champion in Cody Garbrandt on the card. Derek Brunson, Drickus Duplessis is good enough to, I mean, that's probably better than half the main events on fight nights that we've seen over the last six months, right? Uh, that's not even on the main card. That's in a prelim matchup. Uh, Amanda Hebos and, and Vivian Araujo is a big fight. Julian Marquez is always fun to watch. Um, Matus Gamrot and Jalen Turner I mean, gives you, you know, arguably the best fight on the card outside of the main event. Uh, yeah, this this fight card is incredible. Oh, uh, one of the Basharat brothers on this card as well. I mean, it's it's absolutely loaded. Loaded, man. Um, I, I think, I don't know if I've, if I've been as excited for a fight card. I mean, 281 was great, 280 was great, but like just... You know, having a John Jones fight and the all of the unknowns uh, that go into that and the matchup itself. But then you add the title fight with Shevchenko and Grasso. Like we've been talking about the flyweight division and how great it's been. Bo Nickel, I mean that the prospect that he is. Uh, Shavkat, obviously uh, undefeated. Everyone is very is very very high on him. I mean this fight card, man, it's it's amazing. I, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to challenge the UFC to put on a fight card better than this. I mean because. I, I I don't think we'll see a better fight card from top to bottom this year, uh, better than this one. I mean, and the cards have been great, but I don't I don't know if we'll see one better than this one all year. Two eighty seven might give it a run, and we'll see how much of that fight card that stays one. together. Like a lot can change before before that fight card actually takes place. But as it stands now, two eighty seven is the rematch of Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya. Gilbert Burns, Jorge Masvidal is your co-main. As it stands right now, the main card features Rob Font, Adrian Yanez, Raul Rosas Jr., and Christian Rodriguez. Speaking of prospects, Rosas Jr., Kevin Holland, and Santiago Ponzanibio, which is a just screams fight of the night type of matchup. Um, I mean, just looking down the card, uh, Kelvin Gastelum, Chris Curtis, Michael Chiesa, Jung uh, Leong, Gerald Mearshart, Joe Pfeiffer, Chris Barnett, uh, Chase Sherman. Yeah, this this fight card is also uh, incredibly loaded. Ignacio Bahamundes yeah. and Nicholas Moda, Cynthia Calvillo and Lupita Godinez. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you put those side by side. I mean, we might have it's, a stalemate there. Close. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. that, that that's very close. I mean, uh, you got a co-main event with a title fight in two eighty five, but in two eighty seven, you got a a big time welterweight fight with one of the biggest superstars in the sport. So it's just like. I guess it's preference. I don't think you can go wrong, but I mean, right. both of them, both of those cards are super, super loaded. And then 286, I don't think from top to bottom, it's quite as good as these two. Um, it is also a really, really good fight card, better than a lot of fight cards. 
Um, it might give us potentially the most thrilling action, though, because once again, it will be inside the O2 Arena in London. But that that main card right now, as it stands, and what we're two weeks away from that one, I believe. Leon Edwards yeah. and or is that right? Two weeks away. Yeah, we are two weeks away from that. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman, Justin Gaethje and Rafael Fazeev, Marvin Vittori and Roman Delizze, Joanne Wood and Luana Carolina, Gunnar Nelson and Brian Barberena. That's currently what is slated for the main card. Uh, Jennifer Maya Casey O'Neill is on the prelims. Uh, Mokayev is on the prelims of this. Jack Shore. So, yeah, it doesn't... I, I don't think the... The fight card overall, especially the prelims, not as loaded as these other two, um, but still a good one. But yeah, 285, 287 right now is a dead heat. You know what? You know what? I'm, I'm just going to say about 286. And you brought this up uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and I and for some reason, like I can't for some reason, I don't know why. I just don't really believe like that they're that these things are happening, like that it's really happening. But like Justin Gaethje is fighting in the O2. Oh, I know. Justin Gaethje is fine. Like for me, if you just said UFC 286 is Justin Gaethje's fighting the O2, I'm sold. I, I mean, I don't really care who he fights, but like Justin Gaethje fighting in that environment uh, amongst a bunch of drunk <laughs> for uh, British. I mean, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine the atmosphere. And it's going to be a fight of the year against anybody he fights, but just the the matchup against um, Fasiev. That matchup is just is going to be insane. That's definitely a potential fight of the year candidate right there. 100%. I, I feel like uh, in terms of odds, odds on favorite. Like I, minus 450, Gaethje for CF is going to be fight of the year. Oh, I thought you were saying like Gaethje was going to be a minus. I was like, holy shit, man. No, no, no. Just that <laughs> okay, fight itself okay. being the fight of the year. Okay. <laughs> just throwing out random odds. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Heavy favorite. Yeah, that would be... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I mean, just like when Gaethje Chandler was announced, immediately I was like, that's that's a fight of the year fight. Like that, There's no way around. That is a fight of the year fight. And it turned out to be fight of the year. What is the fight of the year to this point? I mean, obviously it's really early. Great but... question. Yeah, it's really early. Uh, fight of the year. I mean, uh, Islam and Volk probably would have my vote. And just in terms of skill, uh, how close closely contested that fight yeah. was. How surprised, surprising Volk looked. I mean, that would probably have uh, my vote thus far. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I would have to probably think about it more in depth, but off the top of my head, yeah, that's probably as, as good a fight as we've seen early in this 2023 calendar, at least. Very early, very early. All right, man. You ready to make some picks? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Oh, before we do that, one thing I did want to bring up. There was a uh, There was a boxing match on Sunday. Did you happen huh. to tune in to the Jake Paul Tommy Fury fight? Yeah, I did. And I watching that fight, I I'm not going to say I'm anti Jake Paul, but like I wanted to see if they would actually, you know, make him lose. I kind of felt like this was kind of rigged a little bit. Uh but as I'm watching this fight, I'm actually feeling like, oh, this is this is real. Like these guys are actually going at it. Uh, this isn't you know rigged like I expected because you know sometimes you know when that punch he knocked out Woodley with, like really, I, I I don't know. Like I wasn't really convinced. And then the same thing with Silva, the knockdown, I wasn't really convinced. But I felt like this one, they went out there and they boxed, and you know it was actually for real. 
Um, both guys, um, they both look like they were amateurs. You know, they're they're still early on in their career. It's not going to look like Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao or anything like that. Uh, um, but I think uh, I scored it for um, I scored it for Fury. I had it. I think I think it was six two. Uh, but, you know, I don't really feel like I'm that good of a boxing judge because, you know, I feel like when I judge boxing cards, I'm never right. But uh, well, that's because it's such a confident. dirty sport that that just means they're wrong. Will you should feel good <laughs> that your your scores don't match theirs because fuck those judges. <laughs> yeah. And and look, I, I thought I would I believed wholeheartedly that Tommy Fury won uh, a majority of those rounds. Yeah. But I thought at the end of that, that they were going to give the decision to Jake Paul, especially when they announced that it was a split decision. I was like, oh, yeah. Jake Paul won this. I was shocked that Tommy Fury got his hand raised. I was legitimately shocked. I did not see that coming. But a good fight between two amateurs who are, um, I mean, not they're not amateurs. They're becoming, you know, professionals or whatever. Right. But, I mean, they're still early on in their How about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was what it was. But I'm happy that Tommy Fury got his hand raised because I did feel like he was the rightful winner. But Jake Paul did have a great showing as well. I thought that it was going to be a terrible fight. I didn't think that it was going to be entertaining at all. I tuned in anyway. I would say that it was much more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. I was pleasantly surprised with the entertainment aspect. I thought that anybody with half a brain could watch that fight and see the Grand Canyon size difference in Tommy Fury's boxing skills and Jake Paul's boxing skills. Like it, it, it that that difference was massive. Now look. This is where I think people have not given Jake Paul credit. Jake Paul's a big dude. And Jake Paul has power. Like, Jake Paul can hit hard. Like, I don't know why people don't want to give him credit for that, because he was a YouTuber. Like, the guy's done nothing but train and 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 get his body right for three years now, right? Like, that's all he's done is spend time in the gym for three years. Like, anybody walking down the street dedicating that same amount of time should look great and should at least have some areas where you know you you uh are able to improve and and look good like jake paul has power we've seen it jake paul can can hit you and, and hit you hard but that's kind of i think in terms of fighting a an actual boxer there's still a lot of work to do right that's where you saw tommy fury's movement and jab and combinations and everything else just i mean that was the difference and it was a sizable difference now again jake paul hit him with some good shots and that kept him in the fight but, you know, the the massive difference in terms of just skill level and knowing what you're doing in there was clearly in favor of Tommy Fury. I also scored at 6-2. I, I will say, like, I thought Tommy Fury clearly won the fight. The fact that the, the referee took points away from both guys was crazy. And then, oh, yeah. you know, you have the knockdown in the sixth, which I thought was like, okay, I think Tommy Fury's clearly won this fight by a good distance, but... When you take into account the margin for error in boxing, which seems to be, I mean, people complain about MMA judging. I think boxing is way worse. I mean, the margin for error there, you have to like, I mean, unless you're, you've won by like five or six rounds, you can never feel good about it. Uh, and then you, you, the way you have to score that knockdown, like I thought that potentially could put it in play where uh, Tommy Fury got jobbed. But I, I thought the right guy won. I thought he was clearly the better guy. I thought he won by a mile. But um it was good to see Jake Paul at least get in there with somebody close to his size and with somebody that actually has boxing skills as opposed to quote unquote fighting skills. So um, it was better than I thought it was going to be. And uh, credit to Tommy Fury. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of 
people who are thought of as haters because right when Jake Paul started this journey, he beats uh, Nate Robinson. He beats uh, Tyron Woodley or uh, uh, Ben Askren as well. You know, that's great. But like he had a size advantage. These are MMA guys. Nate Robinson is a basketball player. Um, So like a lot of people are like, we want to see him fight an actual boxer if he's going to try to call himself a boxer. We want to see him fight someone his size because like Woodley, for how powerful and, you know, uh, accomplished that he is, there was a clear size discrepancy there. Ben Askren looked like he just rolled off the couch. Nate Robinson, you know, we we both know uh, as basketball fans that Nate Robinson is five foot seven, five foot eight on a good day. Like, yeah, very tiny. So, you know, he had such a such advantages over all these guys that he fought. We just wanted to see uh, him fight someone his size. And someone who's who's got boxing skills. And Tommy Fury's not the best guy out there, but he's checks all the boxes that people wanted to right. see. Jake Paul didn't get it done, but he at least had a good showing. So I feel like people respect him uh, a lot more than they did with all these other wins. They respect him more in a loss than he, if he would have fought another MMA guy because he had a good showing against the guy uh, who can box, who is a technical boxer, and who is his size. So I, even in the loss, I respect Jake Paul uh, even more after that fight, after that performance. All right, let's move on to UFC 285 Saturday night in Las Vegas from the T-Mobile Arena main event featuring John Jones and Surreal Gaon. We are going to pick the main card, and as we generally do, several feature prelim fights, which will start us in the women's flyweight division, Will. We have Vivian Araujo and Amanda Hibas. Hibas is your favorite at minus 130, Araujo at plus 110. Man, you know, I, I'm a I was a big fan of uh, Viviani Araujo. I feel like before this whole um, flyweight like resurgence, I don't even want to call it a resurgence, but just the elevation of the flyweight division, I felt like I felt like Araujo was one of the more talented ones out there. Um, I think she's very skilled. She's got the uh, she's got good striking. She's decent on the ground, um, but she's fighting Hebos, who uh, is still trying to get. Um, familiar with this flyweight division. You know, she fought Caitlin Chukagan to a very close uh, decision. Uh, give me Amanda Hibos. Um, younger, 29 years old. Uh, I think she's on the right side of her fighting peak as opposed to Ayuja, who I still think is very good. Um, but I don't think she's she's still on the incline. Um, and I think that uh, Amanda Hibos looks so good against Caitlin Chukagian. And some argued that she won that fight. Uh, it was, it was a really close fight either way. Um, I think I was on the Amanda Heba side of that scoring if I remember correctly, but either way, I do remember that fight being really good and being shocked at Amanda Heba holding her own. Um, I, I like her in this spot. I like her at flyweight. Uh, and I like this matchup. Um, I, I do feel like she'll be more physically tested in this fight than maybe Chukagian, uh, gave her, but this should be a lot of fun. Give me Hebos. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go Hibas as well. I, I just think that um, where Araujo would have an advantage, I mean, besides the physical strength, I think that Hibas is is just quicker. She's more skilled pretty much everywhere. Unless uh, Araujo can just get her down on the ground and really control her, that's the only way that I can really see a win. But I think Ardu- I think uh, Hibas is, is just good everywhere, uh, and I think she's going to be more uh, in tune with the flyweight division. She's, she'll probably have a flyweight, a flyweight body more so than she had against Chukagian, with that being her first one. Now she's more used to it, so uh, yeah, give me Hibas. All right, fight number two that we are picking on the prelims takes us to the middleweight division. It is Drikus Duplessis and Derek Brunson. 
Duplessis is your favorite at minus 240, plus 200 for Derek Brunson. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Is this the last fight on Brunson's deal? Man, um, I I feel like, and I, I might be wrong on this, but I feel like he might have signed for uh, an extra like two fights. Okay, it's either okay. that or he's got another fight after this one, but this isn't his last one. Okay, okay. I, I do remember there being talk about his contract and uh, what he was going to do at the end of that, and, and uh, I, I clearly did not hear any news of an extension, so I, I was just curious if if this being the last one was maybe in play here. Not that that would have changed my pick at all, just uh, something that crossed my mind. Um, I love this matchup because I think in terms of Dricus Duplessis and and trying to get over the top, like we've seen him against really good strikers, and now all of a sudden it's it's a, a, a grappler that is going to do nothing but try to grapple you, right? Like, Dricus Duplessis is clearly, by a mile, going to be the better striker. The question is, can he prevent Derek Brunson from taking him down? And if he gets taken down, will he be able to get up? Um, I love the matchup. I think Dricus Duplessis is going to at least have enough in terms of takedown defense and ground game to not get completely dominated while winning the stand-up. Um, I do think Brunson has a big advantage on the ground, but I think there's at least enough there to keep him from getting dominated in that way where when they are standing, it will be the difference. Give me Dricus Duplessis. Um, I pretty much agree with everything you said. Uh, my pick is also Dricus Duplessis, but I also have a little bit of uh, a bias here because um tell you a quick story. Um, I went to UFC 282 in uh, December. And uh, the day after the fight, uh, me and my group we were all at the mall. Uh, it, was, it's a, it's a, it was an outlet mall. And um, so uh, one of the girls stopped at this place to grab some nachos. You know, the, the girls love the snacks. So we all stopped to, to grab some nachos. And um, we're all at the stand. And Someone walks behind, and then one of the guys who was kind of facing him said, "Hey, that's that guy from from yesterday. That's that guy from last night. Uh, he fought." And and then like they don't really know the guys like I do, so I looked, yeah. and I was like, "Oh snap, that is him. That's like they didn't they didn't know his name, but they, but I was like, well, that's Drickus Duplessis, and like they're like, who, what, what? Yeah, so um, he he was walking. He had some bags in his hand, and I didn't want to I didn't want to bother him, but then uh. They were like, you should go get his, you know, you should go take a picture of him. And I was like, I was like, nah, like it's not that, it's not that important. But then one of the girls like took off running after him. And I'm like, ah oh, man. So I just kind of power walked to, you know, not to make it seem like I'm a groupie to try to chase him, but it's like I power walked after her and she was running after him. And then she uh looks back at me, she's like, What's his name? I'm like, it's Drickus. And she goes, Hey Drickus. <laughs> and then uh he stopped. <laughs> And he was very nice to us, took a picture with us. Uh, I kept telling him, I'm like, hey, man, good fight. Uh, yeah, just be daring to. Uh, he had some uh, scratches and everything, but uh, he was very nice to me, took a picture with me. And uh, so for that reason, for him being so nice uh, and taking a picture and uh, being respectful and all that, yeah, I'm a fan. Give me drinks, do play C. I think in terms of stylistically, he's one of the most fun middleweights in the division. Absolutely. I mean, just the way that he took the fight to Darren Till in a way that uh, I'm not sure many people thought that he would approach it. He he went after Darren Till like he was uh, like he was beneath him, kind of like he thought for sure that he was going to take him out. Now, he might have blew his wad in the first round and made the fight tougher for him, but he showed that he's well-rounded. He, t he, yeah. he was striking in the first round and then he uh, took him down in the other two rounds. So and then he got the finish. So um, he he's, he's got some good knockouts on his record. 
Uh, I remember him knocking out Trevin Giles, uh, a guy that people were high on. So uh, he's he seems to be the complete package, and this is going to be a big test for him. But I think if he can avoid that takedown, like you said, this is going to be a, a easy night for him, in my uh, opinion. Well, and and put him against somebody that's not a great striker, like you know, I, I think guys like Darren Till, who's a terrific striker, uh, Brad Tavares, who maybe more than anything is just tough as hell. Uh, you know, like those guys, I think at least are more equipped for what's coming at them in the standup. Like not only is he dangerous, but he's so unorthodox, like Derek Brunson, um, having a major disadvantage anyway on the feet, much less because of the unorthodox style and where the shots come from and the way that he puts combinations together. Like Derek Brunson may have a real problem in that regard. Uh, but you know, that, that also could be negated with Dricus Duplessis not wanting to be as aggressive uh, for fear of takedowns. I don't know. It's going to be a fun fight, but I, Drickus Duplessis is a ton of fun, and uh, I'm I'm really excited about this matchup. And this this type of win, I mean, puts him in a stratosphere where, I mean, it's, it's you know, Cannoneer, Vittori, Whitaker, um, you know, maybe a Strickland or Costa. I don't know. I mean, he's right there with the elites, uh, depending on how a couple other fights turn out. I mean, it's not out of the question that Drickus Duplessis isn't in a number one contender type fight very, very soon with a win on Saturday night. All right, the feature prelim is the return of a former UFC champion, Cody Garbrandt, coming back to bantamweight after the failed one-fight experiment at flyweight. Cody Garbrandt versus Trevin Giles. No love is the minus 170 favorite, plus 140 for Trevin Giles. I'm nervous about this one. This one was incredibly difficult to pick. My heart says Cody Garbrandt. I think in terms of what you know he's capable of, the pick is Cody Garbrandt. The fear of him taking one shot and that being the end of the fight is also very, very real in my head in terms of weighing how this fight is going to go. Um, is Trevin Giles at a point where um, he can stick with Cody Garbrandt, though? Can he land those big shots? If he does, it might be lights out. Um, every time I'm like set on picking Cody Garbrandt, there's something inside me that's like telling me, don't do it, don't do it. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to listen to my gut on this one and not my heart. And I'm going to take the underdog. Give me Trevin Jones. Trevin Jones. Did I say Giles? Yeah. I Trevin think Jones. I had, sorry. I had just said Giles and then it'd be, that probably just got stuck in yeah. your mind. It's a very close name. But anyway, uh, look, I, I've been kind of conflicted on this. Um, but with this just being a, a one point fight, uh, I'm going to go with my, I mean, my heart and my mind is pretty much telling me Cody. Like, I feel like he's fought better strikers, better grapplers, better people, like people with more experience. I mean, of course, that knockout fou- uh, factor is there, but I feel like Cody Garbrandt is such in such a desperate mode that um, he's going to fight this so strategic that we might not see a slugfest. We might see Cody Garbrandt take this fight to the ground and get a three-round uh, decision. Um, I don't feel like he's going to try to light up uh, Las Vegas. Um, I think if the opportunity presents itself, he will take it. But uh, I truly think that uh, Cody Garbrandt will get this win. Um, I'm th- like, this is it for him, really. Uh, after that knockout at 125. Um it's it's hard to see like a, a a route back up to relevance for Cody Garbrandt even if he wins this fight, but yeah. I think he gets this one done. Uh, I think this is one that he can that he can get. So give me Cody Garbrandt. Okay, I like it. I I think his speed is going to be a big problem 
it's just the the one sh- Trevin Jones, I think, has the power at bantamweight to to finish people, and Work it out. just takes one, right? It just takes yeah. one, and that's my fear here. By the way, it, I, I told you at the beginning of this, it's always shocking every single time, no matter how much I'm I get used to uh, saying it out loud that John Jones is only thirty five. Do you know how old Cody Garbrandt is? Thirty five, probably. How about thirty one? Oh wow, dang. That's crazy. <laughs> that is legit yeah. crazy. Yeah. I didn't re- yeah, so that means he won the title when he was what, 26? I didn't realize he was that young. That's crazy. Was that only 5 years ago that he was had the title? It uh, feels he, like longer. Wait, what year is Oh my gosh, that's it's not 5 years. It's 7 years. I'm tripping. Uh yeah. Okay. It was 20 2016. Uh, the end of, yeah, the end of yeah. 2016. Okay. I don't know why I said 5 years, but yeah. Um it's crazy it's been that long. So yeah. he was even younger than I, I thought. I know, he was. yeah. He's only 31 <laughs> years old, man. Oh, man. Um, he won the title young. So, like, you yeah. understand, like, you know, you're fighting these guys who scout you and know all of your tendencies inside and out. Uh, so he's falling on, on tough times. But I think he's still, he's still, he's only 31. He's still got a, a lot of career uh, ahead, of, ahead of him. Uh, just, I think he's, pro- he's finally going to start to reach his prime. I was actually really impressed with, with his uh, Rob Font fight. I know he Great. didn't win, but um, he took Rob Font's shots pretty well, and he did get the fight to the ground a few times. I think that's the type of Cody Garbrandt we'll see against Trevin Jones. So if that's the, the guy that we see, I'm, I'm confident that Garbrandt will get the win. Yeah. I, I guess in fairness to him, I mean, the losses, TJ, TJ, Pedro, and Kaikara France in terms of being knocked out. I mean, which, you know, those guys have done that to a lot of people, so... Um, we'll see, man. I hope I'm wrong. I, I would love to see Cody Garbrandt find the win column again and get some positive momentum and get a, you know, a, another big matchup in the UFC. All right. Now we begin the main card of UFC 285 on Saturday night. Arguably the biggest prospect in UFC history will Bo Nickel making his UFC debut. This guy fought two times on Dana White's contender series because he was so unbelievably impressive that Dana White wanted one more look at him uh, before he ultimately gave him the contract. Bo Nickel said no problem. Repeat performance. Bo Nickel versus Jamie Pickett in the middleweight division. Bo Nickel is the minus 1,400 favorite, plus 800 for Jamie Pickett, another contender series alum, by the way. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I I will just say, give me Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel by first-round finish. And to take that a step further, we had this conversation earlier today as well. If I had to even put a timer on it and say, (laughs) does Bo Nickel get the finish in under two minutes or over two minutes? I'll also take the under two minutes. So this is going to be Bo Nickel in dominant fashion for me. And that's not a Jamie Pickett thing. That is a Jamie Pickett is a striker and not an elite guy anyway. Bo Nickel is, I mean, some people have said arguably the best grappler in the middleweight division already, and he's not even fought in the UFC yet. Um, I just, I think he's going to be a problem, and I think he gets done really, really quickly. Uh, man, um, of course my pick's going to be Bo Nickel. Uh, I just, he's such a good prospect. I mean, the wrestling, uh, he's he's got knockout power as well. I mean, the guy, uh, is, the guy's good. Uh, and there's uh, reason for to be excited uh, for his uh, career because I mean he's got such strong wrestling that if he just puts this other stuff together I mean we're, we've definitely got a future champion on our hands but uh, 
Uh, the only thing I want to say about this matchup, um, I think Jamie Pickett's length, uh, he's he's very long, tall. That might present some trouble if um, Bo Nickel enters recklessly, but I don't expect that. I think he's such a, a, a good wrestler that he'll know when uh, when to go. But with that said, that's why I, I'm kind of hesitant to say that Bo Nickel will get this done inside two minutes. I'm not really sure on that, but I know eventually he'll get the uh, he'll get the the takedown and he'll have his way. But it, under two minutes, that's a that's a that's a tough one. I'm not sure about that, but we'll see. I think Bo Nickel has that. I mean, I think it would be different against a greater threat in terms of uh, maybe the offensive firepower. Again, I'm not saying Jamie Pickett isn't a a good fight or anything like that, but but nobody is. You know, Jamie Pickett's not Derek Lewis, right? Where it's like one punch put you out type of situation. I think it's going to be the Hamzat, just go get him down immediately. Like that's that's the way that Bo Nickel approaches this. I don't think he he wastes much time. Similar to how Hamzat in every fight, basically except Gilbert Burns, is just going to get you down as quickly and as as easily as he wants to. So uh, we'll see, man. That 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 to me, I'm I'm throwing that out there maybe just to give myself uh, some sort of like interest in that fight in terms of uh, you know is he going to get it done before two minutes? Is he not? I don't know. Uh, I I think it's going to be a a dominant Bo Nickel win, and and the hype train will, uh, it's already begun, but it will be full steam ahead. Okay, fight number two on the main card. Well, this is by far the most difficult fight for me to pick on the entire card. It takes us to my favorite division, the best division, I think, in the UFC, the lightweight division. On short notice, Matosh Gamrot versus Jalen Turner. Oddshark.com. As Gamrod is the minus 210 favorite, plus 175 for Jalen Turner. So Jalen Turner is so big. He's so long. You know, he's not going to be an easy guy, I think, to to get into to take him down. And, you know, with some of these guys, like we've seen an evolution in takedown defense where a lot of these long guys have have become really good at uh, at at preventing takedowns from happening. I do think if Gamrod gets him down... You know, it, it could be a big problem, but um, his length is going to be an issue. And for Gamrot, like, I think this guy has an incredibly high ceiling. The question is, I don't know what Jalen Turner's ceiling is because we've not seen him fight this level of fighter yet. Like, I think the Brad Riddell fight was a great win, um, it, dominating fashion. Brad Riddell was a a fringe top 15 guy in the lightweight division, and Matosh Gamrot is a legit, like, can match up, I think, with the best of them, right? So, oh man, this one is tough. I've gone back and forth on this. I'm going to take... His hands is on his head, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, he is not man. sure. I've, I've seriously gone back and forth on this all day. I'm going to go with my gut again because my mind says that Gamrot is more well-rounded, has more high-level experience and is the pick here, but my gut tells me that Jalen Turner's length is going to be a problem, and uh, give me Jalen Turner. I'm going to do it. Uh, man, that's a that's interesting, man. Um, like I said earlier, I think it's rare that you have a, a guy in Jalen Turner who whose original opponent was ranked below him, I believe, and then he gets a replacement who's ranked ahead of him. I think this is a massive, massive opportunity for Jalen Turner. And then uh, for Gamrot to get back on track, this is a, a fascinating ranked top ten lightweight matchup. Um, I think where 
I find a little bit of comfort in my pick is, uh, and I think probably watching uh, Blanchfield and Andrade fight kind of steered me this way. But the fact that this is on short notice, um, how much time did he ha- really have to prepare for a guy like Jalen Turner? And it's not like this is a normal guy. This is a guy, Jalen Turner, who's got such a size, uh, reach, all that advantage. And he's so um, unorthodox with his movements, with uh, his ground game, uh, with his striking. He's just a, he's just a strange fighter. I mean, the guy likes spiders. He collects spiders. He, the guy's weird. Um, so um, I just don't really know how much Gamrod has uh, been able to really specific, specifically game plan for Jalen Turner. So um, I'm going to go with Turner just because, you know, I'm not sure like what Gamrod we're going to see. Is he going to gas out? Is he going to be able to uh, really figure out Jalen Turner? I think it's going to be a fun fight. I think regardless of anything, this is going to this probably is going to be fight of the night because Gamrod is going to bring it regardless. So um, but give me Jalen Turner for sure. I wow. I thought I thought you were going to take Gamrod and I wrestled with this one back and forth. As you can tell, I just now. Yeah. Even going into <laughs> it, like before we started the pod, I'd finally settled on going Gamrod. And then as, as I was about to make the pick, I was just like, oh, my gut is telling me the other way. My mind is telling me uh, Gamrod is the pick here. It's going to be a fun fight. And I, I think we've just seen such a, an emergence from Jalen Turner in a way where it's like there's something special about that guy. And, you know, I think Gamrod is incredibly dangerous on the on the ground. Um, it's just, you know, can he get Jalen Turner down? I don't know, man. Like, that's it's like a six-inch reach advantage. He's got, like, five or six inches in height. Uh, and like I said, I think as we've, we've watched um, the evolution of, of this sport, a lot of these tall guys have become, like, you know, it's a copycat. Every, every sport is copycat. You watch how some people start to defend certain things and how some people do other things. And I think we've just seen a lot of these guys – that are tall figure out, you know, how to, how to prevent just being taken down over and over and over. That's not to say they don't, but, um, being that tall, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to just get somebody on the ground to take advantage of, the, of that, uh, that ground advantage that Gamrot does have. But this is going to be a fun one. I, I like outside of the, the main event, if you're going to pick a most anticipated fight, this one is it for me. All right. Fight number three on the main card takes us to the welterweight division and, one of the, I, I called him a prospect earlier. Uh, you could also put him in the contender category. This fight certainly will uh, give him a little bit more steam in terms of that contender conversation. But it is Shavkat Rachmanov versus Jeff Neal. Shavkat is the minus 550 favorite, plus 400 for Jeff Neal. Um, I thought Jeff Neal looked great against Vicente Luque. I thought part of that was just Luque uh, deciding to walk forward and uh, just basically say, I'm going to take all of your shots and try and give you something better. Uh, I, I, don't, I didn't think we saw a very well-rounded version of Luke in that fight. I'd be shocked if Shavkat did the same thing. Um, I think this is going to be a, a very impressive performance. I think we're going to see uh, Shavkat do a little bit of striking, but I don't think he he puts himself too much in danger. I think he gets us to the, to the ground, and I think we see a ground finish for Shavkat. So it is Shavkat Rachmanov, and this time next week, I think we're talking about what welterweight contender he gets next yeah i absolutely agree i mean uh watching shavkat fight it's it's every time he goes in there it's always impressive uh more impressive than than the last one being able to finish neil magny in the way that he did um that doesn't really happen that much um i think you know people are pretty scared to fight him they know that this guy is, is on the rise um 
the fact that Jeff Neal has been so open to take this says a lot about him. Uh, he's got he w- with the win. If he were to beat Shafkat, we're talking about Jeff Neal in that discussion as well. So this is whoever wins this fight is going to enter that discussion. Uh, Jeff Neal is right there. Beating Luke was obviously the biggest win of his career. I think he's finally starting to round back into form after being sick uh, throughout the the pandemic. Um, but I just think that Shafkat is just gonna is just too much. I think he's uh, a little better everywhere. Um, but uh, in terms of the power, uh, that's where uh, Jeff Neal has an advantage. And if uh, Shafkat isn't careful, if he uh, if he as long as this fight is standing, Jeff Neal has a chance uh, for, sure. for sure. But uh, I think Shafkat is um, is smart enough to know that uh, Jeff Neal has that power, and he's going to take this to the ground. And uh, I just don't think Jeff Neal has that um, has that in him to to get Shafkat off of him. So yeah, gave me Shafkat. Was it you, or did I just hear this maybe on some random podcast? But were you the one that said you would take Shavkat over Hamzat? Yes. Okay. That was absolutely me. Okay. So there you go. For people that may not be familiar with Shavkat and maybe the level that he's at, um, put him on the Hamzat level, or for Will, uh, maybe ahead of Hamzat. So, yeah, Shavkat is a big time prospect, and again, maybe this is the fight that that makes him a more well known name, uh, or maybe it takes one more, but minus five fifty favorite for Shavkat. All right, our co-main event takes us to the women's flyweight division for the flyweight title. It is Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grasso. Valentina is the minus 700 favorite, plus 450 for Grasso. What title defense number is this for Valentina? Do you know? Ooh, um, I think we're looking at, I think she's tied around to Rousey, and I think it was six, so this is maybe seven. I was going to say, I think it's either seven or eight. See, there was um, Jessica I, Jessica, uh, Jennifer Maya, Chukagian, Lauren Murphy, Ty Santos. Did I say Andrade already? Um, I think we're, I I think she's defended at six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This will be eight. Damn it. Oh, this will be eight. This eighth will one. be the eighth defense, yeah, since she won which the title. Which one did I? Which one did I miss? Uh, Liz Carmucci. Yes, that is it. That's yeah. the one I missed for sure. Yeah. Yep. So, title defense number eight for Valentina in the flyweight division. She has been this division's champion since 2018. Is Alexa Grasso the one to finally take the queen off her throne? The answer is no. Give me Valentina. I think Valentina is better everywhere. I think that Grosso is really good, but I think Valentina is also, if not equal to her in terms of the striking, the fact that you have to worry about the ground game simultaneously just enhances, you know, her striking abilities. Um, Valentina is just so well-rounded. I think that we're going to have to see somebody that is either so spectacularly good in their strength or as well-rounded as Valentina to dethrone her. Um, I don't think, I don't think uh, Grasso is it yet uh, at this point in her career. So it's Valentina. Yeah. I think um, if this were a boxing fight, I think Grasso wins, but this is MMA. Uh, Valentina will be quick to tell you that this is MMA. Uh, she's very, Valentina is very well-rounded. I think Grasso is great. I, I love her game. I think she's grown in this sport. Um, She's more than just a boxer, uh, but I just don't think that she's um, grown enough to to be on Valentina's level. She's grown exponentially. Uh, she's she's really really good, but 
I think Valentin is just at a different level. And the the strength, um, I I, I want to see where the strength level is for Grasso because uh, she's she's came up from straw weight and she's filled out at flyweight. But I, I tend to think that Valentina has her way with with these women who have come up from straw weight to flyweight. We saw what she did to Andrade. Um, so I think the the power uh, advantage that Valentina will have will be substantial. I think that the Taya Santos fight. Uh, it really built a chip on her shoulder. And whenever she has a performance where people start to doubt her, the Jennifer Maya fight, um, the, uh, the, uh, and the Taya Santos fight, she always takes those performances and has a remarkable performance afterwards. I remember after she lost or after she fought Maya and people were like, Oh, this is, she's starting to decline. She went out there and, and dismantled Jessica Andrade. And, and I don't think anybody expected her to make it look that easy. So, um, yeah, man, give me Valentina. But I, I do expect Grasso to have some moments. But I think once Valentina gets his fight to the ground, uh, she'll end it there. All right, and that takes us to the main event of UFC 285. It is the return of arguably the greatest of all time. After three years outside the octagon, John Jones is back in the UFC, making his heavyweight debut for the world title versus Surreal Gone. I believe Cyril Gaon opened as the betting favorite. Currently, OddShark.com has John Jones as the minus 170 favorite, plus 140 for Cyril Gaon. This is such a great fight. Uh, I've had a lot of fun thinking about all the scenarios and outcomes and, and matchup advantages that this one features. It's, it's very interesting because I think in all the ways that Cyril Gaon has had massive matchup advantages against heavyweights that is neutralized with John Jones. And in all the ways that John Jones has had massive uh, matchup advantages in the light heavyweight division, that is neutralized with Cyril gone. Um, you know, Cyril gone is much bigger and longer than anybody that John Jones has fought in the, in the light heavyweight division. Uh, John Jones is going to be significantly quicker than anyone Cyril gone has fought in the heavyweight division. I do think that Cyril gone is going to be the better guy on the feet um, I think John Jones is obviously going to have some some really good moments in the clinch. Uh, in terms of getting this fight to the ground, if if there are takedowns, I'm really intrigued to see what that looks like because, you know, Sorogon lost the fight to Francis because of the ground game, but it was really just control time, right? It was Francis being the enormous giant that he is uh, controlling Gone on the ground. I don't know if, if John Jones will simply be able to control him the same way as Francis did, uh, so maybe there's there's at least a better opportunity for Cyril Gaon to get up from a situation like that. But I also think you're in far more danger in terms of the fight being finished with John Jones on top of you than than Francis Ngannou, uh, because John Jones can can sub you, ground and pound. I mean, he's going to be active, I think, on the ground as opposed to just controlling you. So that to me is probably the most interesting dynamic of the fight is is if and when it gets to the ground, how that part of the fight plays out. But I do think on the feet. Cyril Gaon will have an advantage. I think just the natural being comfortable with carrying that weight, knowing what your quickness is, knowing what your gas tank is at that weight for Cyril Gaon versus John Jones, uh, knowing what the gas tank is going to be at, at heavyweight, uh, the the three years off. Like to me, there's just too many questions about John Jones and what this jump to heavyweight is going to look like, what this jump to heavyweight is going to look like after extended time out of the game, uh, to to confidently pick him to win. So I expect this is going to be a great fight. I can't wait to watch it. 
Um, I think in terms of how this fight plays out, to me, it's like a coin flip. In terms of trying to pick a winner, I just feel more confident about what I know about Cyril Gaon in this matchup versus what I know about John Jones after three years and now at heavyweight. So Cyril Gaon is my pick in the main event. Well, you obviously know where I'm going in terms of my pick for the main event. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not picking against John Jones. Um, I feel like if uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Cyril Gaon too. Since he's debuted, I've I saw him and I was like, wow, I've never seen a heavyweight move like that. His striking is is fun to watch. Uh, I think that with John, um, he's so strategic. He's his fight IQ is so good that um he's gonna know he's gonna know the right time to go with the wrestling where i think this fight's very interesting is both of these guys aren't your in terms of output they're not your uh justin gaethje's right you know they're they're very labored back um their shots they pick their shots they're very calculated they're very smart with their strikes and i think that if this fight looks pretty or whatever uh, very strategic. I think Cyril Gaon's going to be comfortable and everything. Uh, we saw that on display against Francis. But I think if this fight becomes a dogfight, I think that favors John Jones. I think that um, we saw Cyril Gaon, um, you know, in a dogfight with Taito Avasa and he came out on top. But I think that John's gonna is going to add in the wrestling. And I think he's going to, at heavyweight, I think he's going to be stronger than we remember him ever being. Uh, I think the in the clinch he's going to be able to have takedowns, and uh, when he gets on top, he, the ground and pound is going to be ferocious. Like you said, Francis is a guy who's going to lay on top of you, and he's he's he still is trying to figure out like what to do when he gets on top. He's still right. learning the ground game. Like John Jones has been doing this for so long. If he gets on top of surreal elbows, punches, uh, advancing position, like John's going to be doing all that. So. Um, hopefully Cyril has has drilled, you know, being in tough positions um, because it kind of seemed like he didn't really know what to do in a tough position against Francis. Like you said, Francis is a massive human being. <laughs> we'll see how John looks on fight day, but he's not going to look as big as Francis. Uh, but I, I just I'm confident in John Jones's is uh, championship intangibles. And uh, I'm confident that um, in the championship rounds, he will be able to. Um, get this fight to the ground, have his way. And uh, I think he'll be able to bank one of those early rounds. So I'm going to say that John Jones wins by decision, probably like four rounds to one or three to two. I mean, it'll probably be surreal gone winning rounds one, two, and three. John Jones <laughs> winning rounds four and five. And then the judges giving it to John Jones. That's, that's kind of the way that I anticipate this goes. Well, that's very, that's, that could def, definitely happen. Um, <laughs> You know, John Jones is so smart because he just, he knows like at the end of the third round, if he's if he's down two rounds at the end of the third round, he just has to look good at the end of that third round to the judges. And then he always wins the championship rounds. Yeah, I would be very like I'm sure his record, if we could go back and on um, John Jones fights his record in the championship rounds, he's probably only lost like one if if that. So I'm very confident in thinking that he'll win the championship round. Just those those first three. I'm kind of thinking that you can chalk up the first round to uh, surreal. Because John Jones hasn't been in there in so long, he's probably gonna try to get, you know, get his timing and everything back. But I think probably like mid second round, we'll see the momentum shift to John, and then he'll have it the rest of the fight. Yeah. 
Cyril Gaon is only three years younger than John Jones. John Jones is 35. Cyril Gaon is 32. So it's only a three-year gap. Um, Cyril Gaon made his UFC debut six months before John Jones' last fight in the Octagon three years ago. That's crazy. It's insane. And, and just to think that in that amount of time, Cyril Gaon is, has, is, is where he is. He's, this is his second title uh Third, his third title fight. Like he was the interim champion. He fought Francis and now he's fighting John. So, so much experience that he gained in those three years. Um, but he just, he hasn't fought anyone like Jones. So, no, someone with close. as much, someone with as much championship experience, someone who, with the wrestling, someone with the creative striking. Like there, there's no one like John Jones. But on the, on the same hand, like I don't really think John Jones has fought anyone like Surreal. And if you ask John Jones, like someone asked him on Twitter, John Jones said that. You really think Cyril Gaon is the uh, most technical kickboxer that I've ever fought? Tiago Santos uh, threw everything with with such bad intentions. And in my head, I'm like, John, that's not what he asked you. He he asked you about technical kickboxing, not about who has the most power. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so, like, I thought there was an argument that Tiago Santos beat him even on blown out knees. <laughs> so that, yeah, that, take that for what it's. That's probably not the greatest uh, comparison, John. That's not. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not. Uh, but I do think that John is right when he says like he's gonna he questions Cyril Gaon's heart. Uh, I think we saw we saw a little bit of it against Tai Tuivasa, but when he's in a tough position like he was against Francis, it just kind of seems like he panics. I think if John Jones can can get him in that tough spot, he'll be able to beat him. But uh, as I was saying about uh, Cyril, like John hasn't fought anyone like Cyril, a heavyweight who moves like a welterweight with the kicks, the arsenal of kicks that he throws. I mean, John hasn't fought anyone like that. I mean, the height, the reach is not going to be there. So, like, Cyril Gunn presents a lot of issues for John Jones. So we'll see if he can, uh, if he can, what he can do with that. But I'm just confident in in John Jones, man. It's hard not to yeah. be after the career he's had. And what what? How does John Jones react to taking shots at at heavyweight from a a Cyril Gunn? Um, you know, that's also interesting. I like. I would have asked the same question. Before the tie fight, but we we saw Sorogan take a giant shot from Tai Tuivasa, and he survived it. So, um, you know, the one part about this fight that I think is is for for Sorogan that's really going to test, like you talked about the heart. Think about the high level opponents that he's faced, and all of them stylistically give him the. I mean, it's all right in his wheelhouse where he's never uncomfortable. JDS, mm-hmm. right? Stand up, fighting at a mm-hmm. distance. You're not going into the clinch, and you're not being taken down. Rosenstrike, again, fighting at a distance. Volkov, fighting at a distance. Derek Lewis, fighting at a distance. Francis, until Francis started doing the takedowns. And then tied to Ivasa. Again, all of those are stand-up fights where his length and quickness and ability to get in and out have been a massive factor. And none of those guys presented the threat of even clinching or takedowns. So uh, we'll find out how, how well-rounded Surilgan is in this fight equally. Yeah, John did bring this up on uh, on Twitter the other day. He said that the best wrestler that Cyril Gaon ever fought was Francis. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, and you could say that it's true because Francis was the only guy to get to actually get him down. Uh, yeah, man, I, I think that John is gonna be able to take him down. And then what? But I will say, Cyril didn't expect Francis to take him down. I don't think right. he expected a you know a, a, a Francis to you know, be shooting for takedown. Never in a million years. Yeah. So he was just worried about staying away from that power and rightfully yeah. so. But with John, I'm sure he's drilled 
being in tough spots, getting up, you know, stuffing the takedowns, all that type of stuff. So we'll see if his if if all of his drills, uh, you know, are going to help him in this fight. Yeah. I, I think that John has been doing this long enough that he'll find a way to get him to the ground eventually. But I think at first, real is going to look good and um, he's going to have some good striking. He's going to be throwing leg kicks. He probably landed a good body kick. But uh, I think eventually John's going to get to him. I just wonder. Well, I think if, I think it's going to have to be John Jones pursuing Cyril uh, because he's going to be threatening with the takedown, and Cyril's going to be trying to fight at a distance. But I think John's going to be pursuing him and making him uncomfortable. I think his pressure is going to be suffocating, yeah. and he's going to be able to get to him. So this this fight, it's it's so uh, stylistically just crazy to even think about but i i'm I'm very uh excited for it if he's not pursuing him uh it's surreal gone by a mile to me like yes it's... yeah because if he if he's not pursuing i mean surreal gone has has proven over the last three years how good like you don't want to play that game with surreal right. and john jones has been away from the game for too long to be playing that game with him so john jones is going to have to be pursuing him threatening with the takedowns chopping at him with the with the leg kicks with the uh oblique kicks with all those different kicks that john has uh, but yeah, he's going to have to be in his face the entire time. Should be fun, Will. I can't wait. Enjoy UFC 285 and the return of your favorite John Jones on Saturday. All right, man. I'm going to be locked in. I'm going to be nervous. I'll be texting you, and I probably will not be okay. <laughs> that is it this week. We will break it all down next week along with Will Brewer. I'm Colby Daniels. Everybody have a great UFC pay-per-view week and enjoy Saturday night. Podcast is over.